Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everybody. It is Friday, and I mean what a drop-dead gorgeous day down here on the Gulf of Mexico. I was sitting overlooking the Destin Harbor, and it's so phenomenal. You know, you guys all know, you've been following me long enough. I usually hang out at the harbor docks. I, I listen to the stories of the old fishermen and the, the guys that have lived here all their life. But it's interesting. I was sitting talking with Ray today, and, and he said, Troy, do you, do you realize that every waiter and waitress in here is brand new? They just moved here. I said, I know, man. It's kind of crazy. You know, and I, and I sat there afterwards, and I thought, man, these are people trying to live their dreams. They're moving from all over the United States, young kids, middle-aged moms saying, I'm going down here. I'm going to live on the beach. I'm going to see my dreams come true. And that's what we've got to do. Every day. Listen, I want you guys to do me a favor. You've been hanging out with us. You've been rocking and rolling and listening to me for years. Well, we have launched the brand new Home Business Radio Network. You've heard me talk about it a little bit, but I tell you what, you just have to understand what is happening over there. You know, we've been up and at it now for a couple of months. We've got 40,000 listeners a month and growing, and it's worldwide 24 7. You can go over and hear, you'll hear yours truly as the news director of this radio network. I am on two or three times a day, plus we have a brand new show called The Beachside CEO that we are rocking and rolling with over there. You don't want to miss it. It's great. We have like 30 different talk show hosts, plus the greatest music that you can, you can imagine. So we are kicking butt, taking names this afternoon. Jimmy Gilhouse, the wild, stone-cold Jim Gilhouse is what I'm calling him. He shaved his head, and he looks like cold, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin will be live on Aces Radio Live. You don't want to miss that. Hey, today we are in Chapter 8 of Joe Mamby's book, Love Works, Seven Timeless Principles for Effective Leaders. Now, this is if, you're, if you haven't listened to the series, go back and listen, but here we are, forgiving, releasing the grip of the grudge. Man, Troy, you guys get really weird over here on your radio show. I don't know if I want to hear this. I wanted to hear something about sales training. Well, you're not going to get that because if you don't know how to take care of yourself, you'll never be able to lead an organization the way it needs to be led. That's just the way it works. Listen to how listen to how Joel starts this. He says, everyone or has anyone ever done you wrong? Forgiving is very difficult, as we all know that. See, whether or not you're able to forgive has probably shaped the way you are in one way or the other. See, maybe when you see how you've been wronged, you decide you want to go out and wrong other people. I did a whole series on this not too long ago, and it's all about the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. It works in business. It works in the personal life. Always. I want you to think about this as we go into this series today. Have you ever forgiven someone who has wronged you or your organization? Have you ever forgiven someone who has wronged your organization? Have you ever witnessed the positive ripple effect of forgiveness? Do you ever feel trapped and limited by the grudge you hold? Before I go into his book, I'm going to share a story. Some of you have heard this. When I was at ProStep, I became very, very close to the founder of that company, Kevin Lehman. So close that I spent more time over a four- to five-year period with him than I did my own family. 
I would be there in the mornings, noon, night, before the sun came up, after the sun went down. I became like an uncle to a son, and he was like a brother to me. When I decided it was time for me to move on and leave that company, Kevin and I's relationship really got stretched. Later, as I went to work for some guys that launched a competing company, he felt betrayed. Years later, I did some reporting on his family due to the fact that they were involved in network marketing, and he was hurt. Then he became angry. Then he became livid. I was sitting at Harbor Docks one morning when Kevin came in, first time we'd seen each other in years, probably a couple of years, when he just went off, called me everything but a, but a white boy, yelling, people in the restaurant looking around, and him saying, I bet you're embarrassed now, aren't you? Well, I was embarrassed for him. It was It was kind of sad. But I said, Kevin, why don't you sit down? I'll buy you breakfast. I want to hear what you have to say. Over an hour and a half period, he continued to explain how I had hurt him, betrayed him. At the end of that, I said, I am truly sorry. I said, I didn't mean to hurt you this way. I, I did not mean to offend you. I did not mean to embarrass your family or any of that. And he accepted my apology. Now, we haven't talked since that day. But I know I could see the relief on his face, and I, I know there was a relief in my heart because I love this man. I love this man to this day. I want to see him succeed in, in, in ways that you don't even imagine because of the past success that he's had. I want him to get back up on top, however that is and whatever that means to him now, not me. But see, it was a relief to know that he and I could go on down the road and, Lord willing, someday maybe rebuild the relationship, but at least there was no grudge between us. Joel shares a story. He said, Eric is a very bright 18-year-old who worked as a seasonal employee at our Stone Mountain Park attraction in Atlanta. The oldest of seven brothers and sisters, he has never had a permanent father figure in his life, so all the money that Eric earns goes right back to his family. One day last year, Eric was terminated for violating a company policy. I met Eric once but didn't know him and was unaware that he had been released. A week or so later, I received a message from Eric through Facebook. He apologized for what he'd done and asked if I would consider giving him another chance. Now, I wouldn't normally get involved in an issue like this, but I was impressed with Eric's tone. He was contrite and he admitted that he had made a mistake and was sorry for it. In addition, I was impressed by what I saw on the rest of Eric's Facebook profile. Hey, hello, that's something to think about, folks. He seemed to be humble and a decent young man. I emailed our general manager and the head of human resources at Stone Mountain, Gerald and Michael, and asked that Eric's file be reviewed. I made it very clear I was not asking that Eric be rehired, simply that his dis dismissal be reevaluated based on Eric's heartfelt request. I'm going to share with you what happens here because I think that if we all will take this to heart, we can lead our organizations better. He said, Gerald and Michael decided to give Eric another chance after he passed all the tests regarding knowledge of our policies and procedures. About a month after Eric rejoined Stone Mountain, I called Gerald 
to see if he would invite Eric to an Atlanta Braves game, and the two of them could be my guest. Gerald checked his schedule and replied, Joel, I will check with Eric, but he is scheduled to work that day, and I know he will not want to take off the time. He really wants the hours because his family needs financial help. Gerald was correct. Eric worked instead. I continued to reach out to Eric occasionally via Facebook. My heart went out to an 18-year-old who wouldn't take time from work because he was trying to keep his family above water financially. That was humbling and reminded me of my own dad's work ethic. The next spring, about six months after Eric contacted me on Facebook, I walked through Stone Mountain and ran into Eric. He was happy and full of energy. I said, hey, Eric, great to see you. How you doing? He replied, Mr. Mamby, I'm, uh, I'm doing fine, sir. Hey, I was, I was wondering if you might go to my high school graduation. Joel's world seemed to stop as he absorbed the question. Scenes of my entire experience with Eric flashed through my mind. His dismissal, his Facebook message, his request for another chance, his work ethic, his effort to support his family, his ability to overcome objectives or obstacles. I thought I was an insignificant influence in his life, yet he was asking me to attend his graduation. As my throat thickened and tears welled up, I couldn't even get the words out, yes. Finally, I was able to look up and smile and said I would be honored to be there. You know, here's somebody that we don't know how his life might have turned out had they not rehired him. But they did rehire him. A U.S. senator in Georgia sent in a letter to the Air Force Academy saying that he should be accepted. He was not granted an acceptance to the Air Force Academy because he had no extracurricular activity in his life. You'd think if he's sitting here taking care of his family. But the Army took him, and he's going to be attending college afterwards. See, all because Joel was willing to forgive and ask his two top leaders if they were willing to forgive, Eric was brought back into the organization. When you're looking at terminating, when you're looking at, at distancing yourself from, from a volunteer, you know, I, I may be the only guy that's ever gotten fired from a volunteer position at a church, but no matter what it is, I want you to think of some things because this is important. When you lead with love, you put all your egotistical, selfish attitudes aside. Now, I'm not saying that, that life doesn't suck. I'm not saying that you may even have a right to be ticked off and hold a grudge against somebody. But what I'm saying is, show me. Show me anybody listening to this show today that has the right to hold a grudge more than Jesus Christ would have a right to hold a judge, to hold a grudge, rather. Now, and I'm not talking about the spiritual side. Forget all that. Yeah, he's the son of Christ, and he's died on the cross for my sins. Forget all that. Just the story that we hear every, every year when, when the only two times a year you go to church is Easter and Christmas, just the story of him being captured in the garden, a crown of thorns put on his head, his back beaten to ribbons. Matter of fact, it wasn't just his back, but probably just shreds of, of flesh was holding his intestines in, if you really want to know the real story. He's made to carry the cross that they're going to hang him on. 
They lay him on a cross that, that, listen, the cross wasn't sanded down and and real pretty like you see in churches today. It was just a couple of beams slapped together, and they're going to nail his hands and feet to it. If anybody had the right to hold a grudge, it was Jesus Christ. And what did he say? Father, please forgive them. They, they, They don't know what they're doing. And now you want to hold a grudge. You don't want to forgive. You want to have a nasty attitude. Here's what Joel says happens when we forgive. Actually, this is how how he says we should think about forgiveness, really, from a business standpoint. Is this a one-time offense or a reoccurring theme? Is the person that that, that you need to forgive, is this a track record they have? Is Is this a character flaw? If it is, then maybe there's some counseling needs to take place, or maybe they just need to be terminated. What if what what is the person's self awareness of their own shortcomings? Has anybody said, "Hey, hello, you got issues"? See, when people are brought up in different cultures, in different setting, in different environments, they act different. I know. I've bonded more people out than most of you would never want to associate with. And I remember one time, a little seventeen-year-old girl. Her teeth hadn't been fixed in I don't know how long. They were black. Her skirt was so short I could see the bottom of her butt cheeks. I'd bonded her out because they they busted her for prostitution. Her hair and her eyes were gorgeous. Now, they were hollow. This girl had been put up wet more, more times than you can shake a stick at. Beaten and abused. But I remember, man, if she just cleaned up, if we got her teeth fixed, if... If her hair was washed, she'd be a beautiful little thing. I said, can I just, I just got to ask you why. And she said, this was the only thing I knew. You know, I, I started being raped by my family when I was a kid, and I just, I figured if that was going to happen, I might as well get paid for it. See, this is just her way of life. She, she, she didn't know. I mean, that's just what she did. See, when we're raised in different environments, sometimes we need somebody to come alongside of us and say, hey, you can't do that. That isn't what you do. It's not about you. It's about other people. See, you've got to ask these questions. How does the person's direct manager or leader feel? See, if you're at corporate and you're in compliance and you're saying, man, we just got to complain against this guy, before you go out of your way, you need to be calling the upline and going all the way to the person that sponsored him all the way up and saying, hey, what do you guys know about this guy? And then you need to give the offender the benefit of the doubt. You want to know the hardest? This, this is the hardest for people. You know, it's easy, it's easy sometimes to forgive people that aren't close to us. But let me ask you this. How easy or hard is it for you to ask forgiveness or you, for you to give forgiveness to the ones closest to you? How come it is that we have this tendency of, of, of talking to, to those that we love, those closest, our spouses, our kids, our brothers and sisters, in such a derogatory way that we, and we, wouldn't even talk to, we wouldn't even talk to the public that way. I mean, sometimes this is just what we do, and we've got to analyze why we're doing it. And if you're a Christian, you really ought to say to yourself, do I have a right to hold that grudge? Do I have a right to even have this attitude? See, that's the key. It's it's tough. Trust me. I've been there, done that, got the T-shirt, probably got a whole closet full. 
But see, I'd rather be known for moving too slow at judging someone, too slow at terminating someone, too too slow at at criticizing someone than moving too fast, whether it's somebody I love or a perfect stranger. Matter of fact, I did a report yesterday, and, and I shared about my reporting style because I've moved into a very slow, methodical way of reporting now, not the sensational, you know, trying to be like the, the next shock jock out there. And you know what? I'm not, I'm not even going to tell you. I know Joel wouldn't tell you, but I'm going to tell you, just giving somebody a second chance won't always have happy endings. But I guarantee at the end of the day, you will have at least known that you've gone out of your way to do it right. See, Joel shares a story, and it's really heartbreaking. He says, I've led multiple team members who were alcoholics or drug addicts or suffered from some other mental illness. One that we'll call Betty was my senior executive with a stellar track record who started showing signs of inconsistency. Betty started leaving early from work, not acting like herself in meetings and displaying a strange behavior on phone calls. Next came a DUI, then a separation from her husband. After that rehab, the company paid for her rehab program, an expensive 30-day treatment, and held her job open. She came back stronger, her performance improved, However, it didn't last. She went in and out of rehab a few more times, resulting in her being demoted to a lesser but still senior role. Betty's performance was not as productive as it had been in the past, and the pattern of exiting and reentering rehab didn't show any signs of changing. I struggled with the decision. Although she no longer reported to me in her new role, I felt I needed to be the one who made the call. It wasn't fair that her new boss be forced to decide whether she would stay or be terminated. I sought counsel from longtime executives who understood the culture of the company. And after Betty had a few more additional stints in rehab, I finally decided to give her a severance package. The story doesn't end well. Betty never shook her dependence on alcohol. And she died at the age of 58, and her funeral was incredibly sad. Joel goes on and he says, I don't regret the third and the fourth and the sixth chances that I gave to Betty. She made her own choices, and no leader can truly control what an employee does or a downline member does. See, this is the key here. This is what we have to do. I had a, I had a phenomenal time last night. I interviewed the president of a company in Canada, just a phenomenal company, Immunitech. And Stuart is, is, is a guy after my own home heart, loves the Lord, has a passion. His wife does a lot of booking events for John Maxwell. we got a lot in common. But when we were interviewing him, Doug Fireball and I last night, one thing that we kept coming back to was that they have a culture of forgiveness. They have a culture of collaborating with competitors. And see, I believe that, that we need to be forgiving. It's hard for people to forgive, but I want to share a story with you about Mary Lou McCulley. And Mary Lou somebody that a lot of you might not even know. She happens to be Joel's aunt. And she's somebody that when I was very, very young, my dad bought me a comic book. And it was about her husband, 
and her. And I'll never forget that because I kept, even as a kid, thinking, why didn't those five guys just shoot the bad guys? Why didn't they kill the Indians? It wasn't until I was an adult and I knew the true story, not just the comic book version of these heroes of the faith, that it made sense. And then Joel shares the story of his aunt. He says, Mary Lou McCulley was Marky's aunt and a very special woman who taught me more about the power of forgiveness than any other person in my life. She exemplified that one act of forgiveness and showed that it can ripple across hundreds or thousands of lives and across multiple generations. See, Mary Lou was married to Ed McCauley, and in June of 1951, both loved God, loved each other, and looked forward to a wonderful life together. Ed was a talented man with a bright future. He'd graduated from Wheaton College in 49 near the top of his class. He was the senior class president and a National Hertz Corporation debate champion. Boy, was good at his talk. After a year in law school, he decided, along with some close friends and their wives, to move to Ecuador as missionaries. They planned to live among the Wudandi Indians, an isolated, hostile tribe deep in the rainforest. History has proven, folks, that this Indian tribe made the Apaches look like saints in Sunday school. They were the most vicious tribe on the face of the earth. In order to reach the Wadandis, the young missionaries would need to earn their trust, so they began flying over the jungle regularly, dropping gifts from an airplane. And when the, when the Wadandis reciprocated by placing gifts in a basket suspended in one spot from the tight-circling airplane, after months of friendly air-to-land contact, the five men flew the bright yellow plane into the jungle and landed at a small airstrip. They called it Palm Beach. They set up camp on January 3rd, 1956. On Friday, after three days without seeing anyone else, the missionary spotted a Wadandi man and two Wadandi women calmly walking out of the jungle. The interaction lasted for a few hours as the men did their best to communicate without a common language. The Wadandi seemed to be in good spirits when they left. But on Sunday, things changed. As he was flying the plane back into the jungle, one of the missionaries, Nate, Nate Saint, spotted a group of ten Wadandis headed towards Palm Beach. Just past noon, Nate radioed his wife, Marge, and said, Looks like the Wadandis will be here for an early afternoon service. Pray for us. This is the day. We'll contact you next at 4.30. The missionaries, including Aunt Mary Lou's husband, Ed, were never seen alive again. All five of the young men died at the points of the Wadandi spears. But see, unlike Betty's story, this isn't where the story ends. The men left behind five wives and nine children, and news of their death was quickly broadcast around the world and was on the front page of Life magazine. Joe goes, I asked Mary Lou how she could possibly forgive the people who had murdered her husband, and she nearly dismissed that question, saying, that's what God would ask us to do, and it's what God did. Now, I thought that was pretty wild. Six months after the murders, Mary Lou, Elizabeth Elliot, the 
wife of Jim Elliott, one of the missionaries, Rachel Saint, Nate's sister, befriended a Wadandi woman named Dema, who had flown who had fled the tribe. Together they decided to return to the jungle to complete the work the men had started. The women not only survived among the Wadandi tribe, but they helped them transform the culture of violence into a culture of love and respect. See, that's pretty interesting. It's interesting how love and respect, love and forgiveness can become a better way of life. You want to know the interesting thing? And this takes guts. This shows you that faith works because something that wasn't reported until years later was that all five missionaries had loaded weapons. And they wrote in their journals, we discussed it, and we decided not to take our weapons outside and shoot the Wadandis because we know we're ready to go to heaven and they are not. Interesting. It goes on, and it says, Rachel spent the rest of her life with the tribe, dying of cancer at the age of 80. But the effect of forgiveness still carries on today. Marky has taken two of our daughters, Ryan and Aaron, to live for a week with the Wadandi tribe in Ecuador, along with members of the five men's extended family. On one trip, Marky and the girls befriended a man named Menike, one of the ten warriors who had been in the original killing party. Later, Menke made a trip to the U.S. where he and Steve Saint joined Stephen Curtis Chapman to tour telling the amazing story. While he was here, he attended the graduation of Jesse Saint, Nate Saint's grandson, because Minke was Jesse's godfather and had baptized Jesse in the same river where he had killed his grandfather. You you sit here and think about this, and you're saying, Troy, what the heck's this got to do with business? Because when you forgive somebody that has wronged you, when you get off your daggum high horse and your ego, and you choose to lay down your right to hold the grudge, You transform your organization. See, when we choose to forgive others, it releases our anger and allows a deep wound to heal. If you just bear that grudge every time you see that person, you will get that angst feeling. See, resentment is like taking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Jeff Henderson, who's a great pastor with North Point Community Church up in Buckhead, said, forgiveness isn't easy, and it doesn't always turn out as planned, but it's always the right thing to do. An act of forgiveness is like a pebble in a pond, folks, and the ripples will go far beyond what you've ever dreamed or imagined. I challenge you, if you've got people on your team, you've got an upline, you've got a competitor, you've got somebody just ticks you off, burns your butt, maybe it's just your spouse. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's time just to let it go. Dig just deep enough to analyze for a second how Jesus must have felt and the fact that he didn't hold a grudge. So what right do you have to hold a grudge? 
Folks, I love doing the show. Be with us this afternoon on Aces Radio Live with Jim Gilhouse. And be back here Monday on RealMentorsRadio.com as we talk about dedicated, stick to your values in all circumstances. Live life like it's an epic adventure. I'll see you back here Monday morning on RealMentorsRadio.com.